can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handled them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Pushkin. Before we get started, let's talk about Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a subscription podcast program available on Apple Podcasts. Members will get access to exclusive bonus content, like my weekly bookmarks, where I talk about how I got a book agent and what I'm watching on TV that week. You'll get uninterrupted listening to many of your favorite podcasts, like Revisionist History, Cautionary Tales, and The Happiness Lab. Sign up for Pushkin Plus on the show page in Apple Podcasts or at pushkin.fm. I wrote the book because I had just an existential crisis of meaning. After Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, the elections. That's the singular voice of Viola Davis actor, producer, and author, talking about her new memoir, Finding Me. It was just a real crisis of meaning. And when you have a crisis of meaning, what ritual, what tool do you have to find it? For Viola, that tool is writing. It's what she uses to assign meaning to the things happening in the world and in her own life. In Finding Me, Viola writes about who she is now and how hard she fought to become that person. Viola grew up to be a phenomenal actor whose on-screen performances have captivated us for years. Won an Academy Award for her character Rose Maxson in the film adaptation of August Wilson's play, Fences. In How to Get Away with Murder, she took our breath away as Annalise Heaton. 
That was a role Viola said helped her tap into some truths about herself. Welcome to Well-Read Black Girl, the literary kickback you didn't even know you needed. I'm your host, Glory Adam. All season long, I've been speaking with writers and thinkers about their craft, their journey, and how they showed up in the world. And in our season finale, I speak with the one and only Viola Davis on how she and her sisters found salvation in literature and the childhood memory that shaped her outlook on life. And before we begin, just a note, Ms. Davis and I go deep and we get real. Over the course of her life, her career, and her incredible journey, Ms. Davis has been called many things, some of them violent and harmful, which you will hear her say in this episode, Unbeat. Can I call you Viola? Is that is that okay? Absolutely. Please okay. do. Thank you so much for being here, for writing this amazing book. It oh is just goodness. so extraordinary. Thank, you. Thank and I, you. And I heard it in your voice. I heard every single word in your beautiful voice. Oh, wonderful. So we like to start the podcast from the very beginning. How did reading and writing show up in your childhood? It showed up as a necessity. I read and I wrote to escape all the time. I would, you know, leave my school in kindergarten at the end of the school day and I'd walk to the library and I'd stay at the library until it got dark. And then I would walk home. Sometimes I would run home because I would be scared (laughs) when I was passing by Jenks Park because I had a huge tower that looked really ominous at night, but I stayed until it was dark. But I stayed at the library because I love the smell of the books Mm. and I love being transported into even nonsensical worlds. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a relief from my world. And it was also a place that I can reinvent myself and have fun like the other characters in the book. The children's section of the library was in the basement with these big colorful bean bags (laughs) and toys and all the books. It's just... It was Willy Wonka. (laughs) And I wrote to relieve my mind, whatever stories I had, I just would regurgitate on the page. I would create characters that I always wanted to be. Mm -hmm. It sparked the powerful, powerful strength and aspect of imagination with me. And I did it as much as I could. I also enjoyed the conversations and just the interactions you have with your sisters. I am a big sister. I'm the oldest. And I did so much going to the library and reading stories to my brother. And it was wonderful to witness that engagement and that level of just intimacy that you have. Mm -hmm. How did your relationship with your sisters influence your love of reading? How did that all come together? Well, it was really my sister, Diane, who who sparked the, the joy of reading. Because the first thing she said was, you have to figure out what you want to do with your life if you Mm -hmm. don't want to be poor like this. Mm. And so her way was education. And we got this little desk that we purchased at Salvation Army at the time. And I would sit in there 
And every time she would come back from school, because she was the oldest, she would teach us what she had learned that day. And I mean, she would lean in. I mean, (laughs) seriously lean in with the multiplication table, with reading, with writing. I mean, everything. And she really sparked it for me. And for my sister Anita, my sister Dolores, my sister Danielle came later. And we knew that that was the portal, the portal to choices, Mm -hmm. the portal to possibilities. And it gave us something to do. And also with my sisters, it was a safe space because I knew they loved me. Yes. You know, they were the first people that gave you unconditional love and support and saw your mess, Mm -hmm. you know? We all dreamed together and we all wet the bed together. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> was there an author that really spoke to you when you were in the library that like you knew immediately that, okay, this is a voice or a story that I connect with immediately? Oh, gosh. I mean, when I was just five, the writer that spoke to me was Dr. Seuss. And only because it was nonsensical. And it felt like that was the only world that I got an immediate invite to Mm -hmm. in my brain because it was nonsensical. And at that time, you know, this is in 1969, 1970. The other stories was see Jane, see Jane run. Jane has a dog and Jane was always blonde with little pigtails with the little brown dog and the picket fence. And I didn't have any way into that. Mm -hmm. I just didn't. I would try to because I wanted to be Jane (laughs) until I realized I'm not Jane. And then as I continued to go to the library and read, then it was Judy Bloom, the Bobsy twins, and then it turned into Richard Wright. It went went from the Bobsy twins to Claude Brown and Richard Wright. So there you go. (laughs) I love to hear just the transformation of the things that just pull your young imagination in and allow you to say like, okay, I can belong in this world and I can also make up my own and I can be real and feel tangible. Like those are such the beginning blocks of who you are today. And as I was reading your memoir, that opening scene, like there was this rawness, this authenticity, this Mm -hmm. energy of just like the passion that you exude on the screen. You feel that in your memoir. You absolutely feel that. So the memoir begins with the incident in your childhood. A group of racist boys chase you down. They taunt you. They attack you. And you said this is the first time you really had your heart and spirit broken. Did you know you were going to start at that point as eight-year-old Viola? No. How long did it take you to write it? Like, how? It took me a long, long time to get that first chapter. Very, very long. Because when you shake somebody's hand for the first time and you say, hi, I'm Viola. For me, the first chapter was like a handshake. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm Viola. So what is that hi going to be? I thought it was, you know, when I go to Target or Vons or Ralph's, which I love grocery shopping, by the way. And people come up to me and they say, oh, Miss Davis, when they want to hug me, everybody wants to hug Dudes want to hug me. Everyone wants to hug me. <laughs> I want to hug. <laughs> so I was like, should that be my introduction? And I was like, no, my introduction should be my story. Mm-hmm. That's what it should be. And for me, I always go back to this story. I think we spend so much of our lives hiding the truth of who we are. Mm. I think we either hide it, we reinvent it, we reshape it, we remember it really wrong, 
a lot of times. And that was the challenge of the first chapter of giving someone a story that totally and completely defined who I was Mm -hmm. and not thinking about how it was going to land. And that's why that chapter was very, very difficult for me. I just found that as I went through my life, there was something always gnawing at me. And I realized through therapy mm-hmm. is that I believed what they were saying about me. Mm. I did. And that's one of my earliest memories. And it's a powerful one because you have eight to nine boys because I would count them. Sometimes there were more, mm. but I would count them. And when they're saying it's a combo of those words, the black, the ugly, the nigger, all of them together, and they're screaming it with hate. And then as you move along in your life and you don't have any boyfriends, um, there's no one asking you out. I remember growing up, I remember this bus driver uh, saying, yeah, I don't think black women are attractive at all. There's only two black women I find attractive, Donna Summer and Diana Ross. And I just remember even going through my life with people with impunity, Mm -hmm. just telling me out of the blue, when we were just having a conversation about just nonsensical things that would have to interject with, you know, you're not pretty, right? What? And, but for me, see, for me, that's why I had to start with that memory. Mm. Because here's the thing, with men, it's virility. With women, it's beauty. And when you're dark-skinned, black woman, you are catapulted out of that realm of beauty. What does that mean? What it means is they give beauty a value and a worth. Mm. So if you're not that, then you're worthless. That was the message to me. And it was a constant driving message, not a true message, It's a big, fat lie, but it was a message nevertheless that had an effect and metastasized, and I needed to address it, which is why I started the book with that memory. I thought it was a fitting start. There's a scene in the book where you talk about seeing Cicely Tyson and years later working with her on screen, in person, just everything about Cicely Tyson is just It fills my heart with such joy. I recently finished her autobiography and Mm -hmm. I see you in a lineage. I see you both holding hands in such a beautiful way. Can you talk about that? Well, I'm definitely holding her hand. I'll tell you, I held it and she lifted me up out of a very dark hole because I think you need to see a physical manifestation of your dreams. I don't think that it's enough for people to say, you got to hope it, you got to believe it, and you have to pull it out of yourself. When you don't have the language for it, you don't have the bandwidth for it. Here's the thing. Beauty doesn't have a value. I'm going to repeat it. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's some beautiful people in the world. It's not just the way Miss Tyson looked that blew me over. It was everything that she was. Mm-hmm. It was her braveness and her courage to play a character the age from 18 to what? It was 110 or 106. Mm -hmm. It was her excellence and her artistry. And I found that as I've moved through my life and the more I have examined my life, that I've made peace with it, that I've unpacked it, 
the more I have moved towards self-love and acceptance and ownership of my story. The more I've connected with myself, the more beautiful I felt. Mm, It is an internal, almost a reckoning that happens. Like when you're able to know who you are, it reflects outward. That's like the glow that people talk about. That's that energy that you don't know why you're attracted to that person. It's like their energy, Absolutely. you know? Can I quote you? I recently read an interview that you did and you were talking about the book. And basically you said, I count it all as joy. I do. All of those things happen to me, but I own it. And it's a part of who I am. And I think what you were just speaking to is owning it and finding the courage to tell your story and not be afraid of the messy parts, of the hard parts. Like Mm -hmm. in your memoir, was there anything that you were like, okay, I don't want to talk about this or I don't want to own this? How did you work up the courage to own every moment of your story? I just did it. I mean, I understand that courage is not the absence of fear. Mm -hmm. It's probably the absence of faith. Mm. Would you consider yourself a faithful person? Absolutely. I had to believe it even though I didn't see it. And I believe that I've gotten to the age of 56 and I have beautiful friendships, but there are very few of them. Mm. Because I think there's very few people that you have a lasting connection to. And part of that is because, well, there's not a lot of people who have a connection to themselves. Mm. And they don't have a connection to themselves because there's a huge part of their story that they do not want to own, believe, examine, look at. They just rather it die somewhere, just an invisible death. And so then when I'm in the presence of people like that, and I really want to lean in, and I really want to have hard conversations, I can't have it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they've disconnected. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book. Because I don't want to be that. Yes. I don't want anyone to come into my presence and to feel they haven't made a connection with me. Mm -hmm. And I find that there's a lot of people that have jumped ship in my life and have been fair weather friends. That they could connect with me in joy and in good times, yeah. when I'm winning. Right. But when I'm not, it is dead silence. The people who I want in my foxhole, on my team, are people who have my back whenever. After the break, more with the incomparable Viola Davis on her memoir, Finding Me. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. 
Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle to everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Glory Adam, and you're listening to Well-Read Black Girl. Today, I'm talking to actor and author Viola Davis about her writing ritual, how acting and writing works for her, and what she considers her legacy. You tell so many great stories about acting and attending Juilliard and working with Shonda Rhimes. Some of your most notable characters have had, you know, little screen time, but you've had like a huge impact. I'm thinking of Doubt. I'm thinking of Miss Miller. And in the book, you talk about how you wrote the 100-page biography of who this character was. Was this something that you learned at Juilliard? Or was it something that you just, like, decided to try to get a fuller understanding of the character? That is the actual process of being an actor. That's how you find a character. You start with the given circumstances, everything in the script that says something about your character, how she's dressed, what she looks like. And that's the Bible. Mm -hmm. Those are all your stats. Yep. And then you have to fill it in with life, right? 
I mean, you yourself have your favorite color. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite book? What's your worst memory? What is the deepest, darkest secret you ever kept? When were you born? What do you live for? What's standing in the way of what you live for? All of those things you have to ask yourself. And then you write a bio so that by the time you are on that set, you're armed with so much information that you have slowly become that character, mm -hmm. whoever that character is. Now, I say it all the time. If someone were to do a biopic of my life, if they went to my husband and even my daughter, you're still only going to get 40 to 50% of who I am. Mm -hmm. Who you are is so vast. There are the stream of consciousness, your day-to-day -day, that you never share, even with the person that you love the most. Maybe a dark thought that comes up, or a happy one, or a salacious one. I've lived 56 years on this earth. There may be one thing that I've forgotten that someone will remind me of, or something that I remember that I would never share with anyone, because I find that maybe... You don't need to know, and I'm trying to forget, but all of those things make you who you are. So you can't write enough. You can't discover enough. You can't unearth enough to create a human being. I, I feel like I'm going to cry because I'm just like, everything you're saying is so on point. It's like what we need mm -hmm. in order to tell our stories and in order yeah. to heal ourselves. And you described your acting profession as a healing wellspring. What do you mean by that? Meaning you have to become a human being. Mm. You have to become another human being. So you have to rely on life, what you have observed in life. You got to be vulnerable. You got to totally open yourself up. I played a crack addictive woman, Ava May, in Antoine Fisher. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say crack addict as if it explains everything. Well, no, it doesn't. Right. She has a name. She has a past. She has desires. She has regrets. She has all of that. And for me, filling that up and making you believe that is relying on things within myself, even things that have happened that I've observed in the past, that I have to be vulnerable and allow my emotions and those private emotions to seep through on camera, in public. So it is like a therapy session, using the character as a conduit mm -hmm. to express that. And that is extraordinarily healing. Everything you're saying is just so on time right now. I want to talk about your film that you're yeah. going to be bringing into the world, The Woman King. I'm so excited for it. Can you talk about that process of bringing this to life? There are no words, literally, to describe the eight-month process of shooting The Woman King, which is about the Agogia tribe in Benin, West Africa, which was Dahomey, West Africa. There are no words of looking at, first of all, the scope of the set design, the faces of all the black and brown people on that set, the warriors, the, the, oh. there were times when you were moved to tears 
And there were times that you were moved to complete silence is what it was. It is absolutely my legacy to bring up black women and to make them a part of the narrative. Yes. We have been so forgotten, left behind, not adored for so long that I found that when I stepped off that stage, when I accepted my Oscar, that that was the only thing that made me feel alive. That if I could do what Miss Tyson did, if I could do that for other Black women like the Lashana Lynches, the Sheila A. Timms, Tusa Mbedu, Adrian Warren, the Jamie Lawsons, any number of them that are in this movie, I cannot tell you. You wait until you see it. I mean, it is the power of a physical manifestation of dreams that people tell you to have faith for. You, you're supposed to believe it, even though you don't see it. And you're like, okay, I'm going to believe it, even though I don't see it. Okay, I believe it. But when you see it and you believe it and you hope for it, then, oh my God, that is a powerful elixir. The woman king is what I'm sharing with others. That is my elixir. That will be my elixir. I would love to even go even further with that. Because listen, after this, I'm about to go to my group chat because we used to have a how to get away with murder group chat. And we, oh my would, God. we would go and you like- You know how many people we killed? Because I forgot. <laughs> we would have all of our memes and we would talk about what was going on, what the latest episode was. And mm-hmm. there was just, of course, the iconic episode when you take off your wig. And we're like, yes, that's, that's us right now, like watching, like taking off our wig and feeling free. And you're talking about all these moments of just showing up and being who you really are. And I think there's not enough spaces, whether it's in fiction or in film, where Black women can just show up as they are and not feel like they have to perform or be number one. They can just be whole Real, authentic women without any kind of like... Adornments. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know? I think that's what I learned when I went to Africa. The peace of just being you. Can you tell us more about that? I remember being in the Gambia and I was walking down the street or something. And I think I went into a storefront. And I thought to myself, every time I walked into a store, I was thinking, okay, what is a store? Oh my God, the security guard is going to follow me. Let me show him that I'm not here to steal. Blah, 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 blah. That's my inner narrative. Right. All of a sudden I'm in Africa and all of that is gone. You're just present in a community where everybody looks like you. And that levity, that peace that comes with just being, and also the enormity of seeing art as ritual. Mm. Because here's the thing. I wrote the book because I had just an existential crisis of meaning. After the Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, the LGBTQ community, the elections, the COVID of it all, it was just a real crisis of meaning. And when you have a crisis of meaning, what ritual, what tool do you have to find it? Mm. In other cultures, they get together and they sing, they have songs, they have the djembe drum, they go out into the bush for months at a time and they learn from their elders. I learned that in Africa, the power of community, the power of connection, the power of connecting that ritual 
to something in life that gets us from one point to another. Yes. So what became your ritual in this process of writing the book starting in 2020? Did you like go into your room and get into a corner? Yes. How did you find a way to write through this pain and make it into this beautiful book? I got up three o'clock in the morning, which by the way is hormone reset time. (laughs) That seems a time that everybody wakes up three in the morning. (laughs) So I would wake up at three in the morning and I would come to my movie room because it's soundproof and I would be in the dark with my computer and I would write for three, four hours or more at a time. And I would just write. I wouldn't edit at all yet. I just regurgitate, Mm -hmm. just write. And I'd write a memory that came to me and then I would stop and I would breathe and I'd get a cup of tea. And then if I thought of something again, I would put a little notepad next to my bed with a pen and I just write down one word that would unlock something. Mm -hmm. Or I would call my sisters and ask them about a story because sometimes we remember things wrong. Right. We remember things that fits our needs at the time, whatever that is. And that would be my ritual. Now that the book is out what do your sisters think? Did you allow them to read it or is it going to be the first time reading oh, it? Oh, most definitely. Okay, yes. Oh, yeah. You I know? allowed them to read it. I, I just feel like truth is so absolutely cathartic. I really do. And I tried to tell the truth as, as much as I could, as much as I could remember. But I also think that in the book, you see my love for my sisters I think that you see that I'm honoring them. I don't think that you honor people by filtering out what you see as the bad parts because that's an apology. Mm. That's not an uplift. Yeah. I see all of who they were and all of what happened to me and I celebrate that. I didn't find out until I was 53 that young Viola was a survivor. I thought that she was just Uh, a a pain soaker upper. (laughs) I didn't know that literally for me, my life has become all the stages of my life where I went through a radical transformation. Like I went from one point to another that all of that counts as my relay race. Mm -hmm. The six-year-old passing the baton to the 14-year-old Viola and saying, I ran my leg of the race. I was a little shoddy. I said a lot of bad words, but listen, I got here. Yeah. And the 14-year-old Viola passing the baton to the 28 Viola who said, you know what? I thought I grew up. I have my degree. I'm at Juilliard. I just graduated, but there's some things that I really need to work on. So I accept the baton. And then that 28-year-old Viola passed the baton to the 34-year-old Viola who met Julius and who wanted to accept an intimate relationship in my life. And I wanted to be able to give to it and contribute my 100%. And then that Viola passing the baton to the 40-something-year-old Viola who had the hysterectomy, (laughs) who then became a mom at 45, you know, and that's what life becomes. At each stage of your life are a reassessment because there are a new set of obstacles with each stage that you face. And my book became my ritual. And it also became your legacy in such a powerful way. But, you know, you also mentioned that part of your legacy is forgiving your dad and forgiving Mm -hmm. 
who you were as a as a young person and, and saying like, okay, I, I am a survivor. I am able to do all these beautiful things and keep moving forward in my life. How has that process of forgiving helped you become the person you are today? How has that process been? They say that therapy is the point where you learn that your parents did the best they could with what they had. Mm. So it's giving up all hope of a different past. You're not trying to change it. You're not trying to become the Brady Bunch. My forgiveness was for me. Yeah. Was to lighten my load. That's what it was. It was a choice I made because I really, really wanted to love my father. And I saw more benefits to loving and forgiving him than I did with not doing that. Right. And one of the things that I know in life, I know even with parenting, is life doesn't always have to be pretty to be right. Hi, I'm Viola Davis, and you're listening to Well-Read Black Girl. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized 
for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. It's time for rapid fire. Pew, pew, pew. So you just got to, the first thing that comes to mind. I, I'm not great at this. I'm going to be better. <laughs> we made it easy. So it's the okay. first one is, are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? Introvert, absolutely, without question. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Love dogs. Out of all the characters you've played, who would you play over again? That's a hard one. I'm going to say Annalise Keating. We love I dogs. miss her. Oh. I do. Go to cocktail. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to say... Sparkling brute wine, champagne. Ah, yes. Always a celebration. Yeah. This one's a little bit longer, so you'll have some time. You say in the memoir that you have considered being a teacher. If you had to teach, what subject would it be? It would have to be English because I was an honor student in English and I was going to major in it in school until I decided to be a theater major. I love books and I love words and I love plays. I love all of it. So I would teach that. You've made a billion English teachers so happy to hear that. That was wonderful. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the Well-Read Black Girl podcast. We are so appreciative and congratulations on your new memoir. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, y'all, like, wow. I am still buzzing from my conversation with Viola Davis, the Viola Davis. I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. To have the opportunity to be in conversation with such an icon is a blessing. Her memoir is an unfiltered look into her entire life, and she gives us courage to examine our own stories. Viola's beautiful story is centered on overcoming the obstacles of her life, and she wants us to embrace the full pain and joy of being alive. Finding Me by Viola Davis is out now, so pick up a copy. This is the final episode of the season, and I'm just so proud. I got to speak with so many of my favorite writers, and I hope they became some of your new favorites too. This season has been a lesson in endurance, With each interview, I discovered a new way to nurture myself, to craft a sentence, 
or simply how to reach for a story that made me feel seen. Sharing these conversations with all of you has been one of the most meaningful experience I've had since starting the book club. And that says a lot. Throughout this season, I've learned that by highlighting the stories of women of color, by simply shifting their lives from margin to center, we can uplift the narratives of all women. No matter your race, your gender, your background, our stories are universal. It's been awe-inspiring to witness our differences and our similarities. It makes me think of this Audre Lorde quote in Sister Outsider. It is not our differences that divide us. It is our inability to recognize, accept, and celebrate those differences. For every community member that has reached out on social media, in our DMs, shouting us out in your bookstore, and sending episodes to your friends and family, I see you and I appreciate you. It would mean the world to me if we can continue sharing and downloading all the episodes from this season. Start from the very first one, which is a very special episode for me. Until next time, thank you for listening to Well-Read Black Girl. Well-Read Black Girl is a production of Pushkin Industries. It is written and hosted by me, Glory Edom and produced by Cher Vincent and Brittany Brown. Our associate editor is Keisha Williams. Our engineer is Amanda K. Wang. And our showrunner is Sasha Mathias. Special thanks to Vicki Merrick and Lisa Dunn. Our executive producers are Mia Lobel and Lee Tall Molad. At Pushkin, thanks to Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, Jason Gambrell, Julia Barton, Jen Guerra. John Schnars, and Jacob Weisberg. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at WellReadBlackGirl. You can find Pushkin on all social media platforms at Pushkin Pods. And you can sign up for our newsletter at pushkin.fm. If you have a question, a recommendation, or you just want to say hi, email us at wrbg at pushkin.fm. If you love this show and others from Pushkin Industry, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you're already a subscriber, make sure to check out my exclusive bookmark series. You'll hear our full slate of extended interviews with book club members, bookstore owners, and more. And you'll hear what's on my mind, on my radar, and what's on my reading list this season. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry and me, 
I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventionalawards. See you there. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.